If you have a Bible, let us turn to John chapter 17. Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry. To some extent, it is already finished, as we see him say this in this passage. But he's already said it as well before. And then he'll say it once again on the cross. But it is a work that will be finished because Jesus has seen the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. The disciples have followed Jesus for three and a half years and now 11 are with him. And Jesus has spoken to them such intimate words from chapters 13 through 16. And now he speaks, and I say Jesus speaks directly to the Father. And he speaks as best as we can tell in the presence of his disciples and certainly for us as well to hear his heart. In just a few hours, within the next few hours in Jesus' time here in this passage, much is going to happen. He'll be arrested. He'll be unjustly tried. He'll be taken before the Roman governor. The mobs and the crowds will yell for his crucifixion. And he'll be taken to the cross, which is the very reason he came. And we must never forget that. He came for the Jews and he came for the Gentiles, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He came to die, that he might conquer sin and death by rising again from the dead. But it is in these words that we're going to be studying the next few weeks in chapter 17, the words of what many have called the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. And it is here that we find his preparation as the high priest to prepare the sacrifice, which is himself, and that for us. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self 
with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. Now, as I said earlier, as far as, as we can tell from the text, Jesus is still walking along the road to Gethsemane with his disciples following him. We can only surmise that they were clustered around their Lord in a, in a tight group, hanging on every word that he spoke. And by the very nature of the words the Apostle John records in this most precious chapter, the disciples as well as us should consider that we are indeed standing on holy ground as the Son of God speaks directly and intimately with his Father. I don't know that we've ever thought about it in those terms. But for Jesus to speak to his Father, and by the way, we've, we've noticed in the Gospels many times that Jesus would spend time alone with his Father in prayer. Not fully hearing every prayer that he prayed, except in the garden. But here for all to, to read, for every ear to hear. Jesus speaks to his Father. The one true living God. And it would only seem proper that they would stop as Jesus lifted his head and spoke to the Father what many people call his high priestly prayer. It is here that the Messiah of Israel, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, it is here that he reaches the summit of prayer. The Gospels record for us the times that Jesus spent alone with his Father in prayer, but never a prayer impacted so many as this prayer, and in like manner his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. In this chapter, Jesus prayed for himself, he prayed for his immediate disciples, and then he prayed for future believers. And he would only ask for two things for himself, which we'll get to very shortly. But there is a phrase that that we want to focus our attention upon this morning, and that phrase is, Father, the hour is come. Father, the hour is come. I've been saying over the last few months since our study uh, took us through chapters 13 through 16, and we took that so in-depth, the things that Jesus said to his disciples. But we said that was one night. 
And now Jesus says, here's an hour. The hour has come. But it's not an hour like we know ours. The first part of the understanding of this hour is that it is the hour of his glory. It is the hour of his glory as he says in verse 1, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. Now Christ's hour, of course, refers to his death. Take notice that Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and called God Father. He was, as he always had, claiming to know God intimately and to be the very Son of God. But it was something that was unique for Jesus to mention because it just seemed that everyone, when hearing Jesus speak of the of God as his father would be riled up by those words. Yet it was the very thing that he taught his disciples from the very beginning when he taught them about the manner of prayer, not the Lord's prayer, because what we read in chapter 17 truly is the Lord's prayer to his father. But what he taught, for example, in Matthew 6 is the Lord's pattern of prayer. He taught them a pattern of prayer. And he used this, these words, oh, uh, he used these words, our Father, which art in heaven. That is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants us to have with the God of the universe. Our Father, which art in heaven. It is a holy relationship. But it's not so holy that we can't understand the importance of the relationship between God and us and us and God. He wanted to remind us as well as his disciples that that's where he came from. And that he was essentially God in the flesh. The first request that Jesus made of his father was right here. Father, glorify thy son. And the very reason is given to us in the next phrase. Father, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. The whole purpose for the Lord God sending Jesus to the earth, as we shall see and as we know, but the whole purpose for the Lord sending Jesus to the earth was to give eternal life to men. And so if we would consider two important questions this morning, how is God glorified? And how is Jesus glorified? How are they lifted up and exalted and, and, and the light placed upon them? Because that's what glory is. Glory is not just the weight of, of God's presence. It is also the light of God's glory and of God's exaltation. How is God glorified and how is Jesus glorified? And the answer is simply this. They are glorified by men receiving eternal life. Jesus is saying this before he goes to the cross for which he had come to do in the first place, which was to die for men. We cannot have eternal life unless Jesus gives his life for us. 
So both God's glory and Jesus' glory are found in the completion of the great work of salvation. And when you consider just the work of Jesus himself in securing our redemption and our justification by the things that he did for us in going to the cross, <clears throat> the glory of righteousness which, which Jesus secured by a perfect life, the glory of the cross itself, the glory of Jesus' resurrection which vindicates beyond question his messiahship, and the glory of Christ's ascension and exaltation, everything is summed up in the glory of man receiving eternal life. That is man's salvation. This, this study this morning is going to be unique in that it's going to take us back to John, uh, previous chapters of John time and time and time and time again. This is our review of what Jesus said. And the first place I want you to go is John 12. Because I want to substantiate what I just said. About God's glory and Jesus' glory. Coming through the salvation of man. In John 12 verse 23 it says, And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come. Notice even in John chapter 12, he says, the hour is come. What is the hour? The hour of his death. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, he doesn't say, the hour has come that the Son shall be placed on the cross. He says, this is a time for the Son to be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Keep your finger here, we're going to come back in just a moment. But notice that he talks about that glory. He's going to the cross. The hour has come. But what is going to happen? The Son of Man should be glorified. Glorified by the work that he does for the salvation of men. But now we come to the hour of his power. The hour of his power. In verse 2. Because in light of his request and to answer the question, how is Jesus glorified? Simply by God giving him the power and authority over all flesh. He is glorified by, give, by God, his Father, giving him the power and authority over all flesh. As he says in verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. And remember, he's speaking to his Father, and, and, he's, and he's speaking of himself. As thou hast given him, his Son, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So there's the issue of eternal life again. There is the issue of the glory of Christ and the glory of God that will come because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Remember what Jesus said early on in his ministry, John chapter 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 24 through 27, where Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life 
and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And think about that in, in, in terms of what happened right before the, the Passover that Jesus spent with his disciples before going to the cross. He goes to Bethany, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead heard the voice of the Son of God and came out of the grave. Later on, when Jesus was on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. And he gives up his spirit. And he dies. Yet the gospel writers make it very clear that there was an earthquake Stones were broken that covered the, the graves. And when Jesus arose, there were many others who came out of the graves. They heard the voice of the Son of God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself and have given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. And oh, how thankful we need to be that he is not only the Son of God, but the Son of Man. For Jesus indeed came and took upon himself flesh. He doesn't do that, we're in trouble. Because the blood of bulls and goats could never cleanse us enough. For heaven. The works that we do would never be enough for heaven. It required the, the blood of the perfect Lamb of God who Jesus was and is. Now it'll do well for us to return to chapter 12 for Jesus' follow-up statement of what we read earlier. Because he says in verse 27, and you have to remember now that he was there in chapter 12, he was he was also being approached by Gentiles in the court of the Gentiles because they, uh, they wanted to ask questions of Jesus. But his disciples were the ones asking questions too. And others. But notice in verse 27 it says, Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I into this hour. Again, he says, Father, glorify thy name. The Father's name is to be glorified in the thing that Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus will be glorified because of what he did on the cross. And notice it says, Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, the name of, of Christ, and will glorify it again. And he will glorify his own name because he has sent his only begotten son to die on our behalf. But it wasn't just the hour of his power. It was also the hour of his eternal life. The life that was to be given. Where he says in verses 2 and 3, he says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. 
And we cannot separate the knowledge of Christ and the Father. The knowledge of the Son and the knowledge of the Father cannot be separated. Too many religions today, pseudo-Christian religions, false Christian religions, separate the Father from the Son. But Jesus says, no. That they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. The reason Jesus would be glorified and exalted as the sovereign majesty of the universe is really only one-fold. I know that many times you've heard me talk about some things being twofold, you know, two, two reasons, threefold, three reason things for the, uh, but this is only one fold. This is it. For Jesus to be exalted and glorified as the sovereign majesty of the universe, there's only one reason. And it is the most wonderful news in all of creation. Jesus was glorified and exalted so that he could give eternal life to men. So that he could give eternal life to men. It is the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verses 35 and 36 that strengthen this understanding. The Father loveth the Son, he said, and has given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that that's pretty clear. There there are no things to argue here. It is one of the most clearest statements that we find, pardon my terrible English there, most clearest, the clearest of statements, one of the clearest statements that we find in Scripture. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. Period. The end, right? No. Semicolon. But the wrath of God abideth on him. But he that believeth on the Son shall have everlasting life. Has it. Notice the, the tense that Jesus used. He that believeth hath everlasting life. Then remember the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 10, verses 26 through 30, when he says, but ye believe not. Now, he's not speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to some of his detractors, those that would follow him to, you know, to harass him and try to disprove him as Messiah. He says, but you believe not because you're not of my sheep. As I said unto you, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now those are the words of Jesus. About the very power of of, of the hand of God to hold us and and keep us. and And keep us safe in him. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, you want some double security here? My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We are one, and we hold you 
who believe. You know, somebody, somebody asked me the question last night, are you a Calvinist? I said, no, I'm a Christian that believes the word of God. And these are the words of Jesus. The important thing is you need to believe and trust and live the life he's given us to live. So from this text, we learn that God the Father gives Jesus the persons who are to receive eternal life. But remember that a man must be moved upon by the drawing power of the Holy Spirit in order to receive eternal life. And again, Jesus, going back to the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verses 44 through 47, says this. He says, no man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Again, that's a very assured statement that the Father is the one who draws us to the, to the Son and it is the Son who will raise him up at the last day because we have believed in him. Then he says it is written in the prophets and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And there it is again. He that believeth on me has everlasting life. The Father has given that life to the Son. The Father has given him the authority to give that life to those that he draws unto his son, those who come and by faith believe in Jesus Christ will receive eternal life and salvation. And when they do, God is glorified, Jesus is glorified. But now it is not only the hour of his eternal life, it is the hour of his finished work. Notice verse 4. Now back in our text in John 17. Because Jesus goes on in the prayer and he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. Now just think about that statement. for What a, what a blessed statement it is. He says, I have glorified thee on the earth. Everything Jesus did was glory to the Father. Everything he did because he was without sin. He never, he never fell to the temptations that came to him by the enemy back in the, in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He stayed pure. He stayed on the word of God all the way to the end. Everything he did glorified the Father. But then he says this, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. He has finished the work, yet the cross is just a few hours away. Jesus had finished the work that God the Father had given him to do. And that, in doing that work, he had glorified the Father on earth. And the only way a person can glorify God on earth is to do what God says. It brings us to the word that a lot of people don't like to hear nowadays because they have been softened by too much milk toast preaching. The word is obedience. The word is obedience. If a person is interested in glorifying God 
by his life, through his life, with his life, in his life. If a person is interested in glorifying God, he will simply and completely obey God. Will we stumble and, uh, from uh, time to time? Of course. But it is the heart that desires to glorify God each and every day. Listen, we don't get up one day and say, Lord, I want to glorify you in everything. I pray I don't falter, but if I do, know that I really want to glorify you. And we go out and we glorify God by just wanting to, you know, live the life of Christ in us. We don't do that for a week and then the next week we say, you know, I really got tired of glorifying God this week. I think I just want to go out and kick somebody in the head. I want to throw a pie in somebody's face. You know. I want to say some terrible things I've never said in my life. You know, we don't do that. We don't get up to do that. That's, that's not how we function. We get up to do the right thing every day because we love Jesus. Because everything we do is to glorify God. Everything that we do. So remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. Are you getting the picture now that we're just going back and reviewing a lot of what Jesus has said? Because this prayer is very clear about what he wants us to know about what he came to do for us. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Now think about this for a minute. Let me, let, me, let me go through the whole thing and then I'll ask you the question. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name, in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And what's interesting about what Jesus says is, he said, well, many will say on the, in that day, you know, when people stand before God's throne, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Do you think they're going to lie to the Lord? There's no way they're going to lie to the Lord. Because they know that the Lord knows everything. They're not going to stand before him and lie to him. We might be lying all day long in, you know, in the world, but we're not going to stand before God. Here we are you know, <laughs> in the judgment day and the judgment seat before either the judgment seat of Christ or before the, uh, the white throne judgment of God. We're not going to lie. There are people today, you know, that say, Lord, Lord, prophesied in thy name. There'll be people even today, we see it on TV, they're casting devils left and right. I don't, I don't see them, but I mean, you know, they're doing it. Casting devils left and right. Done many wonderful works. The problem is they haven't done any work. God has done them all. First of all, think, that, think about that. They haven't done any works. It's the Lord that's done them. It's the prophecy that comes from the Lord that says, you know, this is my prophecy, you give it to the people. Have we not prophesied? No, you haven't. In my name have cast out devils? Well, maybe in my name, yeah. But you didn't cast them out. I cast them out. You see where, where they are there? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. So it's really important then to know what it is that Jesus meant by that statement. 
those who do the will of my Father. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, John, who was with Jesus, walked with Jesus, heard those words of Jesus, writes this in his letter to the church. He says, and this is his commandment. Here it is, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. How many times do we see that Jesus said to his disciples there before the cross, love one another as I have loved you. That is my commandment to you. It's a new commandment. Let me give you a new commandment. They're saying, well, I thought it was. A... No, love as I have loved you. Don't love as you think you should love. Love as I have loved you. The whole idea in that is I have loved you with all of my heart. I'm dying for you. And you're to give yourself for others as well. And then he says this in verse 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him. The one who keepeth those commandments dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he has given us. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ, he has given us his spirit to abide in us and us in him. So it wasn't just the hour of his finished work, it was also the hour of restored glory. Verse 5 now, back in John 17. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now herein lies the second request. Herein lies the second request the Lord Jesus made to the Father, for himself. He asked for himself to be restored to his former glory, to his pre-existent exaltation. Now, let, let, me, let me just say that. I, I want you to understand, Jesus isn't asking as if he's not sure if the Lord is going to restore his glory or not. That's not the, the, that's not the, the kind of, of relationship that Jesus has with his Father. This is an assured thing. This is an assured thing. It is for us to remember that when we pray, we are to pray for those assured things that are, that are substantiated and held up by the word of God. We are to pray believing all of what God said he would do for us. So Jesus says, Now, Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Notice that he doesn't say, oh Lord, please, please, please glorify me again like I had been with you before. That's not the, that's not the approach. He says, now, now's the time, Lord, glorify me. So he asked for himself to be restored in, in a sense, he asked. But in fact, what he's saying is he's confirming what was going to happen all along. He, his former glory would be restored. His pre-existent exaltation. Because remember John 1 verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. How many times did Jesus say, I'm going back to my Father? Is he going back to his Father without the glory that he had before? No. He's not. Turn to John 13, verses 31 and 32. John 13, 
Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, now, the one who went out was Judas Iscariot. So remember, this is, what, this is where Judas leaves. And then Jesus said this. Remember, Jesus' tone changes with his disciples as soon as Judas leaves. And Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. So he's already saying it's, it's going to happen. It's a done thing. And then let's not forget that Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 58, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. So in fact, that particular glory never really leaves Jesus. Because he is, he am, and he always will am. I am and I will always am. Continually. And it is also important to remember that Jesus set aside his glory voluntarily when he came to earth as man, when he took upon himself flesh. We know this from what the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, when he said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Now, let me say that that phrase, being in the form of God, is not saying that he was in a form that was less than God. He was, in fact, in the form of God that was equal to God. Understand that. Because in the next phrase it says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So that's the confirmation that he had the exact form of God, but made himself, voluntarily made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Made a little lower than the angels. Coming from the book of Hebrews that was quoting from the psalm, Psalm 8, a little lower than the angels. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man. And by the way, if, if Jesus was just in the midst of the people in the marketplace in Jerusalem, he wouldn't have stuck out. Now, he did stick out because people were following because of the things that he did and the things that he said. So by a certain time, everybody knew who Jesus was. But he was born like you and I as a baby. And he grew up like you and I did in a home, in a family. Things started changing a little bit because all of a sudden Jesus in the temple when he was 12 years old is teaching the teachers about his father. And throughout the rest of his life he was different. Yet he was the same. And notice that it says in being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself. What a difference from what people are looking for in a God. Does anyone wonder why we are so fascinated as, as, as a culture today, especially in the 21st century, we're so fascinated, we, and, and we have been, it's not just in this century, but uh, fascinated, actually for, for thousands of years, fascinated with superheroes, 
fascinated with God's. God's with capes and muscles. All different types of personas. But the God who saved us came to be like us. But notice the next phrase, and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross, the worst of deaths in his time. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, the name of Yeshua, Yeshua, God, is salvation. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus also knew that he would return to the Father, and he knew that he would be restored to his former glory. But it is for us to know that. It is for us to be reminded of that. And so he prays in that manner. When he says there, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. It wasn't so much a request as it was a confirmation of what was to happen anyway. And notice again in John 7 verse 33, then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. And as I said earlier, he can't go unto him that sent him unless he's in his glorified, restored body. But it isn't just the hour of his restored glory. It is also the hour of his revelation. Let's look at verse 6 now of John 17. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept Thy word. Now, this brings to mind a little bit of what we saw last time when the disciples had actually stated to Jesus, listen, we know now. Well, listen, we are, now we know. (laughs) Right? Let me remind you what they said. Lo, now speakest thou plainly, speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest that not that any man should ask thee, but, but this we believe that thou camest forth from God. And then remember Jesus answered them and said, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own. Yet this is what Jesus said here. I have manifested thy name unto the men, which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So let's get into that to find out what's going on. Because there are a couple of lessons and a couple of reasons, I should say, why, why Jesus has to be restored to his former glory. We've got to go back to that just for a minute. Because first, Jesus had revealed God's name. Jesus had revealed God's name, and by name, that is meant to be the whole character and nature of God. Everything that God is, every attribute that God is, is in his name. And Jesus was the one who came to reveal that name unto all. The Jews to this day will not pronounce the name of God. 
There are four letters that correspond to our YHWH. We, we use those and say Yahweh. Others have taken it from the Latin and called it Jehovah. Uh, all different kinds of, 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 uh, of names come out of that to, to name God. But it's more than just naming God. The Jews to this day, uh, many of them call him Hashem. Hashem just means the name. The name. Because it's too holy for them to pronounce. Yet it was Jesus who revealed the name of his Father and all that God is. And by the way, this was a phenomenal claim because Jesus was claiming to be the very revelation or revealing of God. I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. So he is the one who reveals God to men. Jesus then revealed God to men. He revealed himself first to his disciples. And then he began to reveal himself to the world. He shared the message of God. The message of God is part of the name of God in the sense that this is who has created you. This is who has come to save you. But he didn't scatter the seed among the, the unthankful and the unreceptive. Though many heard who would later be unresponsive and, unre and unreceptive and ungrateful. Because he even told his, his followers not to waste time on the unreceptive. You, you preach the gospel and then you move on because he said in Mark 6, 11, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. The city that would reject the message of the Son of God and the message of the eternal God. And so it was God who gave Jesus the believers who were to be shown and taught all about, all about himself. And everywhere Jesus went, there were some places that didn't have as, as much of a response, but everywhere Jesus went, there were always followers other than the twelve. There was a time when, when there, were, there were many, many disciples that followed after Jesus fed the thousands, the, the 5,000 men and their families and all those there that he fed with that little boy's lunch. Until Jesus said something that they misunderstood. You eat my flesh, you drink my blood. They didn't see it from the spiritual standpoint. And when so many of the disciples that had followed Jesus up to that point left, he asked his own disciples, will you also leave? And Peter said, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So where are we going to go? We understand what Jesus meant. But there were many who didn't. So it was God who gave Jesus those believers who were to be shown and taught all about himself. God is sovereign, so he, he led both Jesus and his disciples together. Because remember, Jesus was obedient to the Father. The Father stirred and led these men, the first believers, out of the world to follow Jesus and to receive and to be shown the revelation of God. They learned of God. They learned of his person and of his nature. 
They learned of his love. They learned of his salvation because God drew them to his dear son. And they belonged to God. And they kept God's word. See, Jesus knew that even when he told them, you're going to be scattered soon. And you're going to go to your own home. You're going to hide. But he also knew they were going to come back together. When they began to hear, Jesus isn't in, this, in, in, this, in the tomb any longer. He's, he's risen. And they gathered together again. And there were times, though, that Peter didn't come because he was so ashamed of his denial. But he came. And Jesus loved him like he always did. Maybe even more. They belonged to God. These disciples kept God's word. These were the leaders of the church in Jerusalem when the church came about. These were the ones who brought in the other that became the 120 that waited for the promise of the Father. These were the ones that Jesus said. They've kept my word. I'm just telling them right now, don't be too overconfident because you still need to see me on the cross. I still have to go to the cross. It was also the hour of his mission accomplished, which is, if we can say, it was the hour of belief. It was the hour of trust. It was the hour of faith. Notice verses 7 and 8. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Now think of yourself there with the disciples. Having already been kind of uh, rebuked by him saying, okay, so you know now? Well, you're going to be scattered. You're going to have to endure this time that's coming. And now Jesus is saying, in, in their presence, now they have known, Father, that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Now, the second reason that Jesus asked to be restored to his former glory is that the men now knew that Jesus was the Son of God, the very revelation of God himself. They knew that all things which he had were given by God. They really did know. That's why I said last week that they were sincere about what they had said. They knew that he was the very embodiment and revelation of God. And remember, Jesus was looking ahead. See, they were living in, 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 in their time continuum. Jesus, seeing the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, he already knew that they would be there after the resurrection. Jesus was looking ahead beyond the resurrection and saying all of these things. It would be the resurrection that would confirm all he had been revealing to them. So we go back to John chapter 7. 
And we look at John 7, verses 16 through 19, where Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine. My teaching is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. And remember, Jesus didn't come, but to glorify the Father. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? And he's not speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to, to the, the religious leaders. He says, why go ye about to kill me? Did not Moses give you the law? What was the law? What was the sake of the, the reason for the law? The reason for the law was to show them they were sinners. But the law was given by God so that they would turn to God. They would turn to their Creator. And yet none of you keepeth the law. That have struck them right in the middle of the you know right right about right there. Pow. Well, we keep the law, really. Because the law isn't so much kept by the actions that you do, but by the heart that brings you to those actions. You do all of these things, and from the book of Isaiah, Jesus quoted, but your heart is far from me. What a lesson for us as believers. What we need to do is what is in our heart toward Christ. The disciples knew his origin because Jesus told them time and time again that he had come out from God, the Father. John 6, for the bread of God is, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they knew it was the Father that had sent him because in John 6, 38, Jesus said, for I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. So the Lord was purely stating what was reality? To some extent, this was graduation day. That they would hear the teacher say to the principal, they learned, they know. They believe. Peter, James, John, and the others believed it. In the vast desert of this world's barren unbelief, the belief of these men in his words as coming directly from God and in his ultimate origin as coming out from the Father was a glorious oasis where the thirsty soul of the Savior could rejoice and stoop and drink. He had given the most precious gift in the universe to them, the knowledge of what he was, the channel through which the Father's life-giving words could flow out to humankind, and the knowledge of who he was the one who eternally co-equal and co-existent with the Father had come out from the Father to assume human form 
and sojourn on earth for a while. And then he made it very clear to his disciples. I am going away, but I'm coming again. So everything that Jesus said that he would do, he did. He died. And he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And in so doing, he conquered sin and death and hell for us who believe. And the promise that he gave to his disciples at the Passover supper, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you will be also. I'm going away. I'll sit at the right hand of the Father, but I'm coming again. If we have believed every truth that Jesus gave us of himself and his earthly coming, of his earthly ministry, of his death, burial, and resurrection, as we are to believe, for it was substantiated by witnesses, even over 500 witnesses, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, then we can believe with all of our heart that Jesus is coming again. And if he's given us signs that say he's going to come soon because of the signs that we see happening around us, then we can be sure. And therefore we need, with all of our hearts, to get ready. And we need to occupy and serve until he comes.